When Bend It Like Beckham was released in 2002, it was truly groundbreaking. Not only was it the first proper film about women's football, and choosing to ignore the one Mary-Kate and Ashley did a few years earlier, but it also had a young Indian woman as its lead and surprised critics by being a box office smash. It propelled its stars to global fame, and I'm so honoured to have Jess Bamra herself join me today. So please welcome to talk about her life after that thing she did, Parminder Nagra. Parminder, hello. So lovely to speak with you today. You too. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Or Dr. Parminder Nagra, <laughs> I should say, because you were given an honorary doctorate from the University of Leicester back in 2009. And I watched your speech the other day on YouTube oh and you look so chuffed. <laughs> I was. I was chuffed. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think I said it in the speech. I thought it was something that had just passed me by and... Um, and there I was suddenly standing there on the podium at Leicester University. It's quite a prestigious university. And, you know, my mum basically got to see me stand there and get, you know, get my doctorate handed to me, which was just bizarre and weird and lovely all at the same time. It was, uh, but I, it's funny because you, you mentioned that because I, I completely forget about it. I completely, <laughs> and, and I have it in a tube in the house. I'm going, I really should frame that, you know, before I pop my clogs, you know, so I can actually go, yes. <laughs> that happened. But there's lots of weird things like that that have happened during my career, which seems surreal and I've I've forgotten. It's, they seem like a dream. That really felt like a dream. When you fill out forms now, do you write doctor in the title box? No, I should, shouldn't I? Legally, I can, can't I? Can I? Yeah, just try it on something like your Amazon <laughs> account or something that's not like crazy important. But Many moons ago, I signed my husband up for a well-known airlines loyalty club. Right. And um, and the previous Christmas, I bought him a lordship title for fun. So when I registered him with the airline, I checked the lord box instead of oh mister. And to this God. day, when they send us emails, I get greeted with, dear Genevieve. But when he gets an email, he's greeted with, my lord. My lord. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's a great ego boost. Just try it. Do you know what? I think I might just, yeah, on the less sort of like, not on like the proper legal stuff, like maybe just on the, yeah, maybe on the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I got the idea because an old boss of mine, um, his surname was DePonte, which sounds very grand anyway. It does. And he did it for his Sainsbury's account. And so when they delivered to him, he'd open the door. Lord DePonte. Yeah. In his dressing gown, <laughs> Lord DePonte. Uh, did he start talking differently as well? When no, the, he's actually no. American. Um, oh, so right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought at least he would have been, I am, yes, I'm Lord DePonte, you know. <laughs> So uh, you've been living in LA for 16, 17 years now. No, it's not. Most of you, you hail from Leicester. I do. What do you miss most other than friends and family, obviously? Other than friends of curry. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, people and food. Um, yeah, I, I, I miss the sense of humour, honestly, you know, back home and especially. I speak to my siblings who are still in Leicester, actually. I speak to them almost on a daily basis. So in, in that way, I sort of feel like I get to see, see them quite a lot. But yeah, I, I, I guess my mum's cooking. It's that really sad, isn't it? <laughs> not at all, not at all. Okay, let's get down to business and head into the nostalgia zone. Mm. 
We're coming up on almost 20 years now since Bend It Like Beckham was released. And it's still the highest grossing film about football in the world. Still. Is it really? It is, yes. Wow. Or soccer, as the Americans would call it. Soccer. But yeah, but uh, (laughs) but football as we know it, it's the highest grossing football film in the world. How aware when you were making it that on paper it could have been a hard sell, especially Mm. for US audiences, I guess, because this is a British film about women's football yeah. starring relatively unknown actresses. And David Beckham wasn't even famous no. in the US at the time. No. To be honest with you, when Corinda <laughs> told me about the idea, and I was doing a play at the time at the Lyric Hammersmith in London, and um, I remember thinking that, going, what, who's going to want to watch a film about an Indian girl playing football? Like, who's going to want to see that? And she she basically said, you know, let me send the send you a script that we're working on and lo and behold and I think it was almost it was literally several months if not a year later the script then landed on my on my doorstep and it was very different actually to to what it ended up being on the screen and I was like oh there was something about sort of you know this girl straddling that line between her identity and dealing with you know issues with her issues at home and then outside of the home and what she wanted to be and and the general theme of her following her dream you know like as you know in the movie rocky or you know those kinds of you know you got the underdog who does well and that's really what made me go oh this is a little this is a little bit different now how well it was going to do, <clears throat> I had no idea. I think Gorinda had a, a hard time also herself trying to, you know, just sell the movie in the first place or get people on board to <laughs> to be, you know, to champion this film along. But really, honestly, I think there was a moment really, and I think there's clips of this where I do the first bend of the ball around the washing line. That was my first scene. And I was so nervous and I kept looking at my coach going, oh, God, please let this not go wrong. And the whole crew was mostly male. You know, there were, there were some women there, but I bet they were all just looking, going, really, is this going to be worth it? And um, lo and behold, the, the ball did what I needed it to do. And uh, it, it went through and everybody just went mad, you know, behind, behind the scenes. <laughs> but um, did I know still then at that point? I think then I felt better about what I was doing. You know, I thought, okay, I think I can, you know, carry on with the rest of this. But it was really only until I think I saw mine and Kira's face on a on a London bus that went past. And I was like, oh, this is like becoming... This is something now. This is becoming something. And then we had our premiere, you know, at Leicester Square, which, you know, was amazing. And it was just, it wasn't even just the Indian community. I f- it was just everybody just fell in love with, I think, the the heart of the story and the heart of of those characters. It it, it was it was amazing, really. I mean, I guess, you know, really the, the real key of the film's success is, of course, it's a it's hard to film about family um, and you know, exposing prejudices as well, but pursuing your dreams and their themes that everyone can relate to and and still relevant today. Uh, yeah, very much so. You know, we haven't had that many films that sort of give us that, I feel like. And it's like, it, almost, it almost feels like people are sort of crying out for those kind of movies, you know, it's, uh, it's to be entertained and to, 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 root for, to root for characters like that. You mentioned your coach a second ago. You were put on a 10-week intensive training football course um, along with Kira yeah. so that you could 
play all your football in the film and you learn to bend the ball. How did you find that training? I think I read somewhere that you pretty much like butchered your feet <laughs> while you're doing it. I totally, um, what is known in the business as toe punting, um, <laughs> toe punted, uh, yeah, my, my toe. And um, because I was obviously using the the front of my foot instead of the side of your foot. And it's very specific where you have to hit this ball to make, it's a bit, bit like if you're doing snooker or something, right? Or any, any kind of ball sport, really. You have to hit it in a specific way. And um, yeah, I had that. And Kira, <laughs> bless her, had to do a million uh, uh, heading the ball. I was about to say headbutts. It really was headbutts. Um, <laughs> she <laughs> headbutted herself out um, and just, I think, woke up with like a bruise in between her, her eyes like the following day after an intense session. But yeah, we persevered. We did we did set pieces, you know, to make sure we knew how to do those, um, you know, so we could look believable when we went out on that pitch. But yeah, it was it was very quick. Initially, you know, we were out on Clapham Common trying to trying to train. It was ridiculous because you know, it was a very low budget film. So, you know, there's no money to really offer, you know, a major trainer or anything like that. So the fact that we ended up with Simon Clifford was, we were very, very lucky. And then it all just happened very, it happened very quickly. And he gave us a lot of drills and exercises um, to do in our back gardens on the ball. And, uh, and no, I don't keep those exercises up. <laughs> No desire. I bet Kira does. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> There's a scene in the film where Jess is self-conscious about wearing shorts because she has a burn on her leg yeah. from an accident when she was a child. And, and I didn't realise that that was actually a true story yeah. based on your experience as a child. Yeah. And Gurinder Chadha wrote it into the script. Yeah. So she, I remember when obviously I got the part and I don't know what happened. I woke up one day and I went, oh God, like I forgot to tell her about my burn because I'm going to have to wear shorts. What does that mean? Maybe I can't do this. Like I, I went to that area of maybe she doesn't want me for the part anymore. And so I asked to have a conversation with her and I said, I need to tell you something. You know, I have a a burn on my right leg. Um, so it's like I have 30% burns from when I was seven. And she said, well, what happened? And so I told her the story. And the story is actually, I was trying to make, <laughs> don't ask me why, chapatis at seven. And I don't know if you remember the old gas cookers where you had the gas on the bottom and the and the, and the grill was on top, right? Mm. So the thing that you would make the chapatis on, the dava, the, the griddle, was sitting in that grill. And as I went to go and get the griddle, the Dava, um, I had my new dress on from India, you know, my cotton dress my mum had got me, which obviously is really bad with a fire. And I'd already put the gas cooker on. So my dress caught a light. And as my dress caught a light, I thought, well, I can, I can get the flames out. And um, I remember leaning over to the, to the sink and I tried to splash my dress. Of course, that wasn't going to make it. I mean, you know, seven, I was I guess the fact that I even thought of that is pretty amazing. But anyway, I tried to put it out. It wouldn't go out. Within seconds, it, the fire had gone all the way around me. So it was basically like a ball of fire. Wow. And the next thing I know, my, my uncle was actually the one that was um, babysitting me at the time. And, and 
I don't know, I think it was him who said, you know, run up the stairs, run up the stairs. And I ran up the stairs, I sat in the bath and he literally took a bucket of water and poured it on me and put put me out. And, you know, the, the one thing you should never do um, is take your clothes like off your skin if it's stuck to your skin from a fire. Of course, the first thing you think is get this off. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I did that, it took away part of the skin. Um, and then by, you know, and I didn't want him you know, to call the ambulance and all of that. And then anyway, eventually the ambulance came and I had massive blisters and then they got popped. And then I was in about hospital for about nine months trying to, wow. you know, get back to normal and 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 actually, weirdly, I had a really nice time in in hospital. My teachers came to visit me, you know, and uh, you know, I'll never forget. There was a particular nurse who, um, probably going off tangent here now, but I'll never forget this one nurse who stayed one night because I didn't want to be alone. And her shift had finished. Actually, this is how good these nurses are. And she just went. Um, she goes, no, no, I'll stay. And the other nurse was like, well, if you're done, you can go. I'll stay with her. And he went, no, 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 I'll stay. I can't remember her name. I can't even remember what she looked like. But I do remember that I'll never forget that that kindness mm. from her. But um, but yeah, and then I had this physio person that would come. I didn't, and now I know it was physio. But back in the day, I was like, "Who's this woman who comes and hurts me every day? This is like oh. unbearable." But trying to straighten my leg out, and you know, cut to you know me getting to a point in my teens where I was going, you know, what about plastic surgery and stem cells at that point hadn't advanced to the point they are now where you can scrape a bit of skin and, and grow it in a petri dish and literally spray it onto, you know, a scar and it look pretty much, you know, normal. And at, at that point it was literally grafted skin graft. So it was taking skin from parts of other parts of the body. So from my other thigh to put it on that thigh. And when I asked the doctor about plastic surgery, he said, well, um, you're still growing. So, you know, if you still feel like that at 16, let's see. Well, it got to 16. And then I decided, you know what, actually, no, this is a part of me. It's part of who I am. And um, and uh, so so it's either been usable, which was in Bend It Like Beckham in full circle, is either usable in Bend It Like Beckham <laughs> or it saved me. You know, I, I can't do that scene. I'm sorry. I've got a scar. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know... It's it's a glass half full kind of situation for me. Um, uh, it's it's part of my you know my journey, and that's that. I love how Garinda wrote it in though that it, it fits so perfectly with the film's theme of that it shouldn't stop you from pursuing your dreams, and and that's and that's how you felt about it as well. This is part of you. Yeah, yeah. It was nice actually to be able to do that scene and um, sort of have that little bit of giggle with with Jonathan at the end of that scene where. You know, when I say, put me off beans and toast for life, you know. <laughs> In real life, no, I love beans on toast. <laughs> Can I just say? <laughs> this is also slightly going off tangent, but um, it's funny how you say, like, in terms of what hospitals and, and medical science was like at the time my husband was actually attacked by a dog when he was three oh, wow. and bit him in the face and actually bit all his cheek off <gasps> um, and because he was so young at the time the doctor said if we stitch it up because he's growing he will just end up really disfigured right, right. and so they just left it what like a hole as an open wound yeah with dressings on it 
yeah, luckily Ian's mum was uh, um, working as a nurse at the time, so she could change the dressings really frequently, but it then kind of got like infected and have to keep changing. And it was just this big open wound that they just let heal by itself for him to grow around. And um, and now can you... He's got scars in his face now. And, um, <laughs> it's a, you know, if he's out in a pub talking to people about it, depending on who, who he's talking to, um, he'll either have been like glassed in a fight. Are we changing the story? Yeah. <laughs> Or he'll say he was attacked by a dog and he'll tell people it was an Alsatian when actually in real life it was a very tiny terrier that attacked him. So it's modified. It was like, a, it was a giant bear. It's yeah. just going to keep, what's he found, the, what has he found is the best, or you kind of outed him now. It's like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Anyway, um. What are your memories of working with your on-screen family, particularly Anupam Kerr, who played your dad? And of course, he yeah. played your dad again in ER. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's now a doctor in New Amsterdam. But he was a massive Bollywood star at the time. I know. You know, Western audiences, they, they wouldn't have known. But he was like a, a big coup to get on the film. Well, you know, you knew it in Southall where we were filming because we were getting food sent to us all the time. It was really great hanging out with him. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, he was, he just sort of, you know, Anupam just has this sort of sensibility. I guess we're probably, you know, why he's worked so much internationally, he just sort of hits the ground running, you know, he just gets involved in whatever it is, you know, that's happening. And, um, but yeah, it, there was, there was a lot of crowds in Southall. So it was really hard. I remember once working with Ornburi and it was the same thing. It was just, you were like, wow, it, this is, this is mania. Um, and of course, you know, any, anything that Anupam has been in, I think there's a bit of a sort of a superstition in India where it's like, it's like a, he's a, he's a, like it has the golden touch mm. kind of thing, you know, if he's in, <clears throat> if he's in your movie. But yeah, he, you know, playing a seat guy and, you know, just, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. And Shaheen, who played my mom, I'd worked with before. And I remember at the time, like, Gurinda thought she might have been too young to play the part. And Shaheen really wanted to play this part. And so, she, you know, dressing the way she's dressed on that movie is not the way, you know, Shaheen's very, like, you know, very kind of posh in her, I should probably laugh if she heard me say that, but I think she is. She's quite sophisticated in her dress. Glamorous. <laughs> Glamorous, you know, and then, you know, with her like amazing sunglasses and, you know, and it, and then here she is, you know, playing this, uh, this mom, but she's just such a brilliant actress. And I'd, I'd done uh, theatre jobs with her through Tamasha. So that's how I'd gotten to know Shaheen before that. Um, and then Archie, I knew just because we were part of that kind of circuit in in the UK. So we all kind of sort of knew each other. Apart, I mean, Anupam just sort of came in and slotted right in. You know, there was no, um, we just sort of got on with it. And it was, you know, it was it was a good laugh. It was a really good laugh. So, um, yeah. Uh, Anupam's got a, a, has put a podcast out at kind of like at the end of last year. I don't know if you... Who hasn't put a podcast yeah, out? <laughs> me, me included. Um, but... Um, <laughs> It's really funny. It's called Anubam Cares and it's um, kind of like stories from his life and his career. And there's one really brilliant story that he tells about a film that he was on in the 80s in his early career. And he, this was at a time when he only bought two pairs of pants to do on set with him. Ever? <laughs> on a job. Oh, oh. <laughs> and apparently there was, right. this, there was this brand of like quite cheap pants that would only last about six months, but he only bought two pairs. And so he'd like wear one pair and then wash the other pair. Smart. And then one day he was told that he 
wasn't needed on set. So he he washed both pairs. <laughs> That's the end of the story. No. <laughs> He washed them and put them out to dry, hang them over the the, um, the balcony. But then there's this knock on the door and this um, assistant says, no, actually, you're needed on the set right away now. And so he goes and pulls on the first pair of pants, oh, no. which are still a bit wet. And then he starts filming. And I can't remember the name, but it was like a very, very famous Bollywood actor that he was he was doing this scene with. And then out of nowhere, suddenly Anupam starts screaming and grabbing his crotch and then runs off to the bathroom. Because it turns out that while his pants were drying over the balcony, oh, no. a swarm of brown ants had crawled into his pants. <laughs> That's horrendous. So he literally had ants in his pants. Oh, which then had decided That's to bite him. Oh my. <laughs> That's awful. Have a, have a listen to the podcast. It's very funny. That, <laughs> the moral of that, st- I don't know what the moral of that story is. The moral of the story is do not dry your pants on, on a, a balcony. balcony. That is terrible. <laughs> that is awful. I remember my son getting like, and I was telling him to dig up a mound of soil that was in the garden. And, um, and he's like, he was really young and he's like, I don't want to. And I said, just dig it. It's fine. It's fine. You're trying to get him to do something. And then there was like a giant swarm of ants that ended up all over him. And I had to shove him right into the shower to, to get, and it was horrendous. But he's fascinated by it. The ant conversation, I have to say, uh, we're on a whole different level with that. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so did I massively. Sorry. So let me go back to Bendelow Beckham. Um, the role made you one of the most high-profile, visible Indian actresses at the time. And given the the themes of prejudice touched on the film, I found it quite shocking that you were once told that you weren't going to be on the front cover of a magazine because right. Kira or Jonathan Rees-Myers were more likely to put yeah. bums on seats. Yeah. I mean, that's just awful. Yeah. I don't really even know what to say about that. <laughs> I, mean, I like to think that we're in different times now. But. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, now it's obviously, you know, we're, the conversation's happening more and more and more and things have moved on. But but my fear is that, you know, which I think was happening a few years ago where it was then it became about, oh, well, let's get this box ticked. You know, I've been up for or asked to go. I remember asking to go out for a job because an actress basically left. It was a well-known TV show here. An actress had left the job and because she'd basically fallen out with the other actor. And I remember phoning my agent and I went, do you think maybe you could just suggest me? And the character's very like non-specific in terms of family and between, you know, 35 and 40. And do you think you could suggest me for it? And the word that came back was that they've already got an Indian person on the cast so um great and I went yeah but I'm completely different to that person and that's not like is that ever gonna happen when you say no we've already got a white person on the show I don't think that conversation's happening so it's just very it's just very hard and I've you know, there's, there's times where I've just gone, I, I can't, like, I don't want to talk about it because then you're drawing attention to it. You just want to get on with things. And then there's other times where things like that happen and you just kind of go, I'm really just kind of tired of it. But um, not everybody's like that. Not everybody's like that. And you get your opportunities and, um, you know, touch wood, you know, that's happened for me. But yeah, that was, that was, it was really, it was a really odd conversation that was happening. And I was like, that that's just... 
that's just in you know, how, how are things supposed to move on if that's what people are saying you know or like you know generally like I've had been in rooms where people have gone oh that's not going to sell because there's just too many brown people in it and you go oh okay and so you just sort of go you know do you keep pounding or do you and there's moments you get tired and then there's people that do keep doing that and then you know they break another glass ceiling you know so you've got now you know Riz, Riz Ahmed and like Priyanka Chopra it's like now they've got deals you know with networks and stuff like that and so things ha things have moved on but yeah that was um that was a story for the books and th there was lots of little stories like that and uh it's just annoying it's just really annoying well something much more positive I mean, the film had such a massive impact and has inspired so many girls who ended up on the England women's football team, um, as well as in India as well. That must give you the warm and fuzzies knowing that you you played a part in that. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I, I was just speaking to a, a journalist, actually, who recently who she was talking about how she went to see the movie with her late father. And it's just like one of her, her best memories. And I think the fact that this film invokes some of those memories and 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 allows, you know, people like the young women that you're talking about that have gone on to pursue uh, that profession. It's amazing, you know, that a movie like that can can do that. It's, um, I mean, I'm incredibly proud of that. And you also won FIFA's Football Personality of the Year. <laughs> yes. So that was another weird thing that I thought, you know, you're talking about the doctorate. That was another weird, surreal moment that felt like an absolute dream. And do you want me to tell you about that? Yeah, go on. Right. Okay, so... <laughs> I can um, imagine what that's, what that's like where you weren't a professional footballer. <laughs> no, and you're standing there with Zidane and Ronaldo and Khan, all those guys that were like massive then. No, so I, I, I got a phone call from my agent saying, uh, you know, you've been nominated for FIFA Football Personality in the Year and they would like to fly you to Madrid. And I was working on a Channel 4 job at the time, I think. And the production company said, uh, no. And I think as a joke, they said, not unless they can put her on a private plane and get her back the following day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> FIFA said, okay. And of course they did. <laughs> And I was like, what is happening? And um, I asked my friend, uh, Nabil, and my agent came along with me and I said, can you help me write this speech? I'm so nervous. Like, what? what, what is, this is so weird. And um, he said, yeah, of course, because he was a big football fan. So I thought I'll invite him. He, he'll know who, who's, who's, who's who there, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so... Firstly, the limo didn't even fit up my street. I was so thankful because I was like, I really don't want my neighbours seeing this giant car arriving because it's so embarrassing. So <laughs> it was stuck at the bottom. They went, you're going to have to walk to the car. I went, fine, great. I love it. So I just walked to this car and then we get to, I can't even remember what the airport was that the private plane flew from. And we got into this private plane, which was amazing. And the fact that, you know, check-in was just literally showing our passports and like walk straight on. It's a whole other world. <laughs> um, we were there in like no time at all. We get to the hotel, you know, I go and meet um, the president of FIFA, get to hold the World Cup, which was amazing. You know, we get all our hair and makeup done and whatnot, and off we go to this ceremony. And now I'm in this giant auditorium with all these famous footballers. 
And then the president's up there and he goes, so introducing, <laughs> and they play parts of the film, the clips of the film, the presidential award for football personality of the year goes to, <laughs> and he says my name. And I literally, I'm not kidding you, Khan, all these guys look look back and they're like, can I swear? Yeah. I'm thinking, they're probably thinking, who the fuck is that? <laughs> like, that person? Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And then all I just kept thinking was don't fall, don't fall, because obviously I had heels on. And uh, I get up there and I'm trying to give this speech. And at the end, we're all stood there with our awards. And there's a picture of me, like with Zidane. I look up at Zidane, who's really tall. And I'm like thinking, I know you're... Th I wish I could have said it to him. I know you're thinking, what am I doing here, really? I'm thinking, what am I doing here? But <laughs> hey, um, it was amazing. Uh, and then I tried to make a really shit joke with, um, I think it was Rivaldo. It was Ronaldo or Rivaldo. Anyway, either one, it was, it was amazing. One of them had the silver boot. And I was like, well, my award's bigger than your award. <laughs> <laughs> he just sort of looked at me like, yeah, like, can't even believe you got it, love. And then, by the way, I've never had that award back. Did they not give it to you? No. Huh. Is it something that rotates? I don't know. Well, I mean, they give, well, I mean, they've, you know, they've given it out every year. Well, until Seb Blatter got banned from FIFA and they haven't given it out since. But they, I think, um, write a letter. It's yours. <laughs> give me my award. <laughs> That I don't deserve. And sign it, Dr. Dr. Nagra. Yeah, that was that was bizarre. And then I remember flying back home and me and Nabil are in Notting Hill and Portobello, Portobello Street, having a Portuguese custard tart, a coffee, and he's reading a paper. And we're in complete silence. And then we both look up at each other and then we're like, nah, and look back down, as in, what was that? It was like a dream. <laughs> Well, you had a big impact bringing a lot more girls into the sport. So I think you're a worthy winner. Yeah, that's right. That That's why I got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move out of the nostalgia zone now and into what I like to call the latted zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. After Bendelite Beckham, you starred in one of my guilty pleasure films, Ella Enchanted. <laughs> Oh my God. With Anne Hathaway. Um, that dodgy hairdo. I mean, it had such a great British cast. Joanna Lumley, Minnie Driver, Jimmy Mystery. Um, was that an eye-opener going from a low-budget film like Bend It Like Beckham to Hollywood budget? Yeah. To be honest, though, I think my trailer on Bend It Like Beckham was a lot better than really? the trailer on... <laughs> Anne Hathaway's trailer was obviously a lot nicer. Ours was like a rabbit hutch. <laughs> You know, but um, <laughs> I bet the catering wasn't as good. <laughs> the catering was, uh, yeah, no, yeah, the catering was better. Um, but and then we were shooting in Ireland, which was lovely, and um, yes, and it was an amazing cast. Um, and I actually remember having oysters for the first time at Eric Idol, as you do, as you do. But what a gentleman that man is. And he probably doesn't even remember, but I just remember like, and he was like, no, you want to put this vinegar in and this like condiment into the, and I'm like, oh, he was amazing. And yeah, it, it was, it was just, and seeing like all these familiar faces like Joanna Lumley and Vivica Fox and Minnie Driver. Um, and then of course, you know, the young Anne who, by the way, I realized one day walking up here that she was my neighbor, but I think she's living in New York now. And then when I was in New York for a year, 
I realized she was only two blocks away. And I went, she goes, don't tell me you're living down the road here. And I said, all I can say is I, we've got great taste in, in where we live because <laughs> clearly we keep bumping into each other. But yeah, it was, I mean, we was, we were so young and it was such a laugh and yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a good giggle, that job. And then of course, uh, you were offered the role in ER. Yeah. Which you did for six years until it ended. How did that feel as a as a girl from Leicester suddenly in Hollywood starring in at the time, which was the biggest show yeah. on TV and voted one of the hottest TV doctors, I might add. Who? Me? Yes. I keep getting all these weird awards. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one for the list. Um, <laughs> um I that job, honestly, pivotal. Um for me and I'm so proud of that job but initially I, I think when I got it I was obviously super excited because of the way it happened as well um and and then I think I just sort of sat in London and cried for a few days because I realized I was leaving suddenly my life was changing within a month and um I was packing up you know and going out to LA and I'd signed you know the deal initially it was for a few years and you know, so it meant I was going to be here because the show films for, you know, about 10 months of the year. And then I ended up being on it for six seasons and just adore, I adored that job. I adored that cast. You know, we still like... Do you have a WhatsApp group? We have a, we, we do. We have a, <laughs> well, we have an iMessage group and it really honestly devolves into just abuse by the end of it, which... It doesn't change. And I am still the person who's going, what happened? What What did so-and-so say? I just feel like I'm at school again. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm always the one who doesn't know what's, I'm not in on the joke, you know. And then I try and start the joke and everyone's like, okay, pop in to just shut up. But yeah, just, just you know, and then of course I ended up, you know, initially um, when I started that job, and I remember bumping into Marianne Jean-Baptiste, who I think is amazing. Um, and she was on... Um, she was on a different show. Without a Trace. Yeah, she was on Without a Trace, which was on the next stage. And I was like, oh, how did you, you know, how did you find it? Like, you know, how, how is it? And she said, oh, initially I was like, I don't live here. And I said, that's how I feel. And I was like, I didn't even, I don't even want to buy cutlery. Like, I, I don't live in LA. Like, this is not my place. And, uh, and she was like, well, you know, just wait, just wait. And then, of course, it grows on you. And like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, I've been here for nearly 17 years and <laughs> I haven't left. It really does grow. It really does grow on you. And I Is it I, the weather? It, the weather does help. It, I felt really bad for my, my sister and my mum yesterday when they FaceTimed. They were like, it looks so nice out there. I sort of moved the camera out of the way and I'm like, it, yeah, I went, to be fair, it is. I went, but I, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to rub it in. <laughs> I don't want to rub it in. Um... Yeah, you know, and, you know, of course, when I finished the show, I had my son here and so my son's here and like just so, you know, that's that's where I am. You know, this is where I am right now. And uh, yeah. You starred in a couple of episodes of Casualty and Holby City before ER, yeah, uh, which I think is like a rite of passage for every British actor. It is, yeah. And, and to be in the bill as well, of course. And the bill, yeah. <laughs> how, did, uh, how did ER compare to Casualty and Holby City in terms of uh, working on a hospital drama? Pace-wise, to be honest with you, the same. <laughs> you get no time. It's like you got to just get on with it. I guess the fact that just the way it was shot, you know, we were shooting... Now, now they're shooting, I think, most of the stuff is shot on red, but at the time ER... 
before it transitioned to the red cameras, which is more digital, um, we were still shooting on film on that show. So just the whole look and feel, um, I'm always talking about food, but the catering was very different. <laughs> <laughs> I live to eat, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, yeah. I'm all about the, I've eat, I'm eating whatever it is I'm eating and then I'm thinking what the next thing is um, that I'm going to eat. Um, it's like the seafood diet, you seafood and eat it, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, d I mean, you know, there's more writers in the room. I mean, there's just like a whole team of, there's just, there's like, yeah, there's like a team of people here. And it got to the point, you know, I got on very well with the writers and I would keep shuffling up to the writer's room. And then I would write, I would, I would write ideas for my character. <laughs> you, were you in the writer's room? No, me. It was like, everything says Neela. <laughs> um, but they were very, you know what, to have a collaborative team like that was amazing that they asked your opinion. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really had it since, you know, on a few things I've had it, but not, not, not a lot. Um, and I remember actually the first year, interestingly, they were like, so, you know, what about a relationship for Neela? And this, this was one of the times I said, you know, could you not? And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, because I feel like the moment you put her with, you know, with a guy, that's how she's defined. An audience then isn't getting to know her, you know, here we've got the luxury of really like living and being with a character for a certain period of time. As soon as you put them in a relationship, they're defined by the relationship as opposed to who they are. And then it just always makes me laugh because by the end of EVR, I think I, I was probably with everyone. <laughs> You're in love triangles and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which was amazing days at work. <laughs> Can I just say, they were like some super hot guys to deal with. Um, I can say that now as well, I'm single. <laughs> you were, I think you were pretty much the most famous Indian actress at the time in the US and the first to star in a recurring role um, on a US TV series. And since ER, your roles have been so varied in terms of Alcatraz and The Blacklist, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fortitude. Mm. Do you think your role in ER allowed you to not be typecast in future roles that Indian <laughs> actors maybe might typically be seen in? Or have you had to work hard behind the scenes to push for the roles that you've had? Yeah, it's always a conversation where, you know, a doctor part will come along. And, you know, re recently, like, I said yes to Bird Box, right? I had to play a doctor in Bird Box. Mm. And I was like, ah, do I really want to? Do I do one? I've already, you know, played a really great part, but of course, Sandra Bullock and it's Bird Bots and it's the team that that's team. And I was like, okay, I think, I, I, you know, this is this is worth going to do. So I have to sort of judge it by its own merit, I guess, again, a case by case. But yeah, a little bit, to be honest with you, is behind the scenes because you just have to say no a lot. And, you know, if it's, you know, therapists or, you know, it's it's all these professions that, these academic professions which keep getting offered and sometimes you just want to have the chance to play I don't know just a goofball <laughs> a goofball yeah like and I think I am a little bit of that and I think you know my team tries to like get those things for me because they realize kind of how silly I am behind <laughs> the scenes um but I think maybe sometimes it's hard to convince other people of it I guess because I've, I've been so sort of 
been entrenched in drama. Alcatraz was, I think, one of those roles actually, which once I started working on that, it was one thing and then they changed it as the character developed. And, you know, I know that not a lot of people would have seen Alcatraz, but, you know, it was set in present day and in the past, in the 60s. And I got to literally be the character to straddle two timelines and the 60s stuff was such just such a joy and it ended up just being this like romantic storyline between me and Sam Neill and you know like from the past and now she's like in the future and like there was just a there was just some cool stuff going on it's just a real shame that that show didn't continue because we we loved doing it but yeah I think there's a little bit of you know you kind of have to go I've played a doctor before and I played a well-known doctor. Do I really want to go and do that again? And, uh, you know, my agents and, and my manager probably heard me rant a lot about that. But generally, I just go, can you not just submit me for someone between 35 and, and at this point now 45, <laughs> you know? But can you not just put me up for those parts? I don't understand, you know, why is it just these that are popping up? Mm. I've always thought, that your dream job is one that you do for free. Yeah. Um, but then conflict usually comes when you have to start earning a living. And then if you become a parent, you have to yeah. juggle that. And usually something has to give. And if you're a woman, usually it's your job. Yeah. In your experience as an actor, and I know you took some time out to be a mum as well, is it that much trickier to navigate? Because if you're not working, not only are you not, earning but yeah. within the industry I imagine it's, it's you know it's very much out of sight out of mind and you can be very easily replaceable yeah it's really tough you know being a, a parent in this business you know in your 20s you can just sort of pack up your bags and and you know go anywhere and you know and now you know because of covid it's there's a lot of quarantining that's going on and mm. you know unless you've got a partner that's on the same page as you and you're like, okay, we're going to take the whole kit and caboodle and we're all going to go together. And some people are lucky enough to have that, then, you know, you're able to do it. But when you're trying to juggle, you know, being, I don't like being away for too long anyway for my son, but, um, and I've really been lucky with the opportunities that have literally sometimes I feel like come so far out of left field, but it's like the universe has gone, here you go. <laughs> Here's a little something to keep you going, you know, um, and we'll make it work. You know, it, it's really hard because when you're on set, you're on set and it's like, well, then, then what? You know, you've got to make sure that your child is taken care of. You know, for any working parent, you have to make sure that all those things are put in place. And mm. I, I think, you know, nowadays it's literally on a case by case basis, you know, even auditioning for something and, you know, the location of where it is. Am I really willing to go to wherever it is? for several months, you mm. know, is difficult, you know, because obviously before COVID, you could at least commute in and out. But now it's, uh, yeah. It's so one thing that I'm I'm frustrated on your behalf um, is, is the way that the press like to create competition and compare people. And I always used to get frustrated when, especially people would compare your career trajectory with Kira Knightley's and I think a lot of people just didn't mm. realize that you were 25 26 when you made that film and she was only 16 so of course yeah I was 27 actually I think I was 27 no 26 actually yeah because at 27 I went to go on DER yeah yeah so it's you know I just kind of think you know with a 10-year age gap between you of course you're going to have 
a family and a child. Different points in... Which is going to, you know, take you out of work. If she's 16 when she starts it, you know, you had like a 10-year head start on her. She can have a completely different career trajectory because she's yeah. not... It's funny, actually, because when ER happened as well, my I think my agent at the time was like, are you sure, you know, like, you know, the film's just come out and... I loved the show so much that I went, it wasn't even a question. I went, uh, yes, I love, I love this show. And, and I, you sort of have to just tune out that, you know, people's sort of speculation and, um, opinions on that because, you know, it's, you know, you know, your, your truth and, uh, you just kind of have to stick to it and it's, mm. you know, that's it. What are you going to do? Let's talk about your new TV show, Intergalactic. <sighs> Yeah. Um, it has such a great diverse cast with the lead characters, all badass women. Yeah. Which I loved. And I've been lucky enough to see the first three episodes already. Oh, you did? I have, yes. But uh, tell us a bit more about it and who you play. So it's about a, a young cop in the future who gets wrongly convicted of a crime she did not commit and gets banished to a different planet. <laughs> and I play her mother um without giving too much away so i yeah i play her mom who basically you know tries to uh get rid of um what am i trying to say you play her mom trying to vindicate her yeah exactly that was the word <laughs> thank you um and and the whole thing gets into a bit of a pickle um and uh, they're out in space you know she's part of the common world um which is this new world order and things go slightly mad but at the very heart of it it's it's a really strong family story and um there's a lot of pain there's a lot of grief and you know so it's not just a sci-fi show there's there's a lot going on in it but you know you were saying before about playing doctors and all of that so when this came along I mean this couldn't be more far removed and Julie Geary who's the writer did just an amazing job of creating such a you know, wonderful story and wonderful characters. That it was nice to get my finally after a while to get my teeth into something. I come back to England and, and do that. And um, and Kieran Hawkes, the director of of Intergalactic, was somebody I'd worked with on Fortitude before. So I already had some sort of relationship with him. And he's just I knew that anything that he was involved in would be good. So I couldn't I couldn't wait to wear my my funky outfits as much as I kind of go. <laughs> I really, but um, but <laughs> it was odd walking out in Manchester after a day being on set, you know, being an arch marshal. There you go. Maybe I should put that on my uh, Amazon packages. <laughs> arch marshal <laughs> Pominderdagra. <laughs> I spotted that there. Uh, there's a Genevieve in the show. There is, yeah. Which uh, which rarely happens for me, um, and I don't want to ruin it for people. But I will say she has killer hair. She does have killer hair. Make of that what you will. <laughs> but um, I was thinking there hasn't really been many British space sci-fi dramas for a while, save for Doctor Who, but we, we don't usually have the budget to make no. space dramas. It's, it's uh, no. I mean, this is, I think, really is a first of its kind. And to have such a strong female ensemble you know, you, when you were on that set and you literally at the end of the day would see the, they'd say silver balls, you know, because of all the, the special effects, you know, you sort of realise like how much special effects is involved in this particular show. And then the fact that, you know, Sky have put 
in the money to do this show you you could even on the sets i'm i'm not just as an actor you would walk onto that set and geek out because you'd be like i can't believe this is my office like craig parkinson who's become a dear dear friend actually um who's also on the show his his office unbelievable like just this shiny shiny place which people have to obviously see it but um they'll know what i mean when they see it just am- amazing what they did with those sets so for them to really put their muscle behind this show. It's just such a joy to do and watch and be a part of, you know, and, and to be able to do what you, you know, what you can do when you've got that budget. It's amazing. A few quick fire questions for you before we end. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a portrait of you in the National Portrait Gallery in London. Oh, that's another one I forgot about, yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you visited it? I don't think I've ever visited it. I remember sitting for that and the poor man, I fell asleep during, because it was like, took hours, right? Because it's self-portrait. Uh, not self-portrait, sorry. He was doing the portrait. I wasn't doing it. <laughs> It'd be terrible if I did it. Um, <laughs> um, Hang on. You fell asleep while posing for your own portrait. <laughs> and then I woke up and I went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he said, he said, oh no, when it got really bad, which is basically my mouth was hanging open. He goes, I started colouring in your hair, which obviously... <laughs> No one else can see, but as you can see, I've got a lot of hair. Uh, he started colouring my hair. <laughs> and I look really grumpy in that picture, by the way. But, I mean, how else are you supposed to look when you're staring out of a window for like eight hours? <laughs> That's why these portraits never look, they're never smiling. You can't hold it for that long. It's ridiculous. Um, but but I'm very proud of it. <laughs> You were also one of the Olympic torchbearers when it passed through London on its way to Athens. Yeah, man, you're really good for my ego today. <laughs> Did you get to keep it? And if so, where is it now? No, I bloody didn't get to keep Oh, along with the FIFA award. Yeah, that's another thing I didn't get to keep. Listen, Genevieve, sort this out for me. On behalf of Dr. Parmin Denagra. Get this stuff to me. Um, but I would like the Olympic torch... That was amazing, running across Millennium Bridge towards that crowd. And the runners, who the poor guys had been running probably God knows how long, and I got so happy. I was like speeding off ahead and they were like, and I could get, guy was like, slow down, slow down. Like, I was like, all right. It's just got just like really happy. I had the torch and this is so cool. <laughs> Um, it wasn't like one of those things where you start running really fast and you're like, yeah, I can do this. And then you start realizing, actually, I can't do this anymore. And you start slowing down to a trot. No, it was the adrenaline. Honestly, uh, that adrenaline, and it wasn't even for very long because by the time you got to the bottom of the street, they were like, all right, can you give it back? And I was like, can I just run a little bit more with it? <laughs> and then you're on a bus and they took you somewhere else. But um, that, yeah, that was a really amazing moment in time good memories what is the most fun job you've had the least fun and the one you're most proud of that people maybe aren't aware of most fun i would say was uh er least fun i don't know um can i skip that one it could just be the least fun because you didn't have the best food yeah didn't have the best food and it just felt a bit like you're walking around on eggshells that one um but I'll let you all figure that out. Um, And what was the other one? What did you say? The The one you're most proud of that people maybe aren't aware of. Proud of. I think Alcatraz, actually. I was really proud of that character and how she evolved because it really, she wasn't there initially like that on that page. 
and she evolved into something and it was a shame that I couldn't evolve that character more. And also, you know, I got to, who knew at the time I got to work with Oscar winners, you know, Rami Malek and Mahasha Ali on that yeah. show as well. So yeah. they went on to do what they did. Yeah, no, it was amazing uh, working with them. Um, and you just, you knew every single guy that was on that show had something special about them. You really did. They just had a good, solid presence. So there's no no surprise that they uh, went on to do what they went on to do because uh, they, they were amazing then. So yeah, that was my memory of working with them. Right, well, last question. I saw a clip of you from 2002 where you said that you had written a cosmic shopping list the year before. And one of the things on that list was uh, to star in a film and you achieved that with Bend It Like Beckham. So um, do you still have a cosmic shopping list and what is on it? Um, do you know what? I don't have a cosmic shopping list. Um, I should do one again. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember doing that. I used to, I sometimes will write down, this is what's going to happen in a few months and then have, you know, a hope that it does happen and then it doesn't and then I'm disappointed. But, um, but yeah, it's always good to visualize or write down your goals, um, so it gives you something to, to work on or look forward to. But um, yeah, no, I, I for, you, you reminded me of things that I've completely forgotten about. But I think I should do another one. Thanks, Genevieve. <laughs> Barbara, it's been so lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. I look forward to watching the rest of Intergalactic and uh, I hope you get to return to Leicester soon and to enjoy your mum's cooking and get your hands back on your FIFA trophy <laughs> and your Olympic torch. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been a real pleasure. It's lovely to chat with you today. A massive thank you to Parminda for being so generous with her time speaking with me. We laughed so much during our chat. It was so fun. I hope you laughed along with us too. Intergalactic starts on Sky and Now TV on the 30th of April. All episodes are being released at the same time, so you can have a good old binge watch weekend. It'll be out on Sky's European channels in May, and if you're in the US, sorry, you'll have a little bit longer to wait. As ever, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you'd like to support the show, please don't keep the podcast to yourself. It would really help me out if you could share it with a friend or post a screenshot on social media and tag me so that others can discover and enjoy it too. And do hit that follow button so you can be notified when new episodes come out. You can also visit celebritycatchup.com if you'd like to donate to help me continue making this show for you or feel free to get in touch if you'd just like to say hello. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.